The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Acts. We're going to be in chapter 10, okay? Uh, We're continuing today in our mini-series on missions. Uh, Last week, we talked about local missions and how God has called each one of us to be missionaries in the time and location that he has placed us. Today, we're going to turn our attention to global missions uh, so we can see how it is that we fit into God's plan to bring redemption and salvation to all people all over the world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, If you've reached... Acts chapter 10, already, you you may have noticed that there um, are 48 verses in this chapter, and and we are going to read all of them together. So I know that that might make some of you a little bit nervous right off the bat, because some of you have seen me preach for quite a long time on just a few verses, but let me put your mind at ease. I can guarantee you for sure this is not going to take any longer than two, maybe three hours to get through Acts chapter 10, okay? So... Just hang in there. We'll be all right. I know it's hot. The ACs, will, they'll, they'll cool us down. We'll get there. Um, or we'll just be so caught up in God's glory and the truth of his word that we won't notice. Amen? Okay, so um, we're going to read Acts chapter 10 together. I hope you're there. Here we go. Now, there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius, and fixing his gaze on him and being much alarmed, he said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. He's staying with a tanner named Simon, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who was speaking to him had left, he summoned two of his servants and a devout soldier of those who were his personal attendants, and after he had explained everything to them, he sent them on to Joppa. On the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, but he became hungry and was desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance, and he saw the sky open up and an object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. A voice came to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. Again, a voice came to him a second time, what God has cleansed no longer considered unholy. This happened three times, and immediately the object was taken up into the sky. Now, Peter was, now while Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as to what the vision which he had seen might be, behold, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions for Simon's house, appeared at the gate. And calling out, they were asking whether Simon, who was also called Peter, was staying there. While Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you, but get up, go downstairs, and accompany them without misgivings, for I have sent them myself. Peter went down to the men and said, Behold, I'm the one you're looking for. What is the reason for which you have come? They said, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear a message from you. So he invited them in and gave them lodging. And on the next day, he got up and went away with them, and some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. On the following day, he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them, and he called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter raised him up, saying, Stand up, I too am just a man. 
As he talked with him, he entered and found many people assembled. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. That is why I came without even raising any objection when I was sent for. So I ask for what reason you've sent for me. Cornelius said, four days ago to this hour, I was praying in my house during the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in shining garments. And he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Therefore, send to Joppa and invite Simon, who's also called Peter, to come to you. He's staying at the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and you've been kind enough to come. Now then, we are all in here present before God to hear all that you've been commanded by the Lord. Opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. The word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is the Lord of all. You yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee after the baptism which John proclaimed. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses of all the things he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible, not to all people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God. That is, to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who's been appointed by God as judge of living and the dead. Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speak with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay on for a few days. Praise God for his word. Amen. So we're going to take this in chunks. First of all, verses 1 through 8, we're going to see a little bit about Cornelius. So from these verses, we can know a few things about Cornelius. First of all, he's a centurion, so that means he is in charge of a hundred men in the Roman army. He's also of the Italian cohort. Uh, these guys were widely regarded as some of the most loyal soldiers uh, to Rome that could be found, okay? So kind of an elite squad. So this meant that they would have been especially despised by most Jews because, of course, the Romans had subjugated them and were occupying their land. And so we see here also that Cornelius is a God-fearing man. This meant that he had turned from the polytheistic worship of Roman gods and recognized that the God of Israel was the one true God. Now, Jews of the day would have had some respect for Cornelius and his monotheistic acknowledgement of the God of Israel, but they would have still regarded him as a Gentile and thus not someone that they could associate with according to their traditions. Okay? Uh, we see also that Cornelius was devout and he was generous. We also see that he did not hesitate after receiving the vision of an angel telling him to send for Peter. He was in Caesarea, and Peter was in Joppa. That was about 30 miles away, so it was roughly a 10-hour journey at average human walking speed. We can see or we can ascertain from the story that typically people broke this journey into two days, okay? So uh, 30 miles, but it's long, twisty roads, and it was hot, uh, and so they're doing it by foot. 
So that's about the distance they were from each other, okay? So that brings us to verses 9 through 16, all right? In verses 9 through 16, we see Peter goes up on the housetop to pray. Now, houses in that time, they would have had a flat roof that would have been used as a patio. Uh, And so it was not odd that Peter went up there to pray. That would have been a common thing. What this doesn't mean is that you should start going up on your roof, okay? Especially if you've got like a 10-12 pitch, okay, to try to pray, uh, you know, and, and see how much balance you have, right? Because you getting 20 feet off the ground is not getting you any closer to God, right? Our God is omnipresent, all right? So he can meet you right here on the ground. You don't need to get up there. And the problem is I can just, exp- I could just hear the call I would get this week. Uh, uh, hey, Pastor Vince, after your sermon, I, I got up on my roof to pray like Peter, and uh, I, I didn't get a vision, but um, I did fall off, and I'm at the hospital. You know, you come pray for me. So let's not do that this week. Just stay on the ground and uh, we'll be good, okay? Uh, So we see that Peter's hungry, right? God gives him a vision of all kinds of different animals. Um, Some are kosher, some are not, and he tells Peter to get up, kill, and eat. And so here we see a very interesting contrast between the apostle Peter, who witnessed firsthand the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and Cornelius, the Roman centurion. When the angel told Cornelius to send men to find this guy named Peter in Joppa, Uh, because he would have a message for them, Cornelius did not hesitate, right? Peter, on the other hand, tells God no, okay? Which, for the record, is never the right answer to God, ever, okay? So this this was definitely a doofus move on Peter's part, but we need to understand his lens a little bit to see why maybe he reacted this way. He had been taught his whole life that these dietary restrictions that the Jews observed, they were one of the major ways that they stayed clean before God. So this was a big deal. So he may have been questioning if this vision was truly from God because of what was being said, or he may have thought that perhaps God was testing him to see if he would go against this tradition. Uh, But God makes pretty clear by verse 15 that this is not negotiable. Uh, Peter's no doesn't really matter. Uh, So let's... Let me just read that to you. It says, again, a voice came to him a second time. After Peter says, uh, by no means, Lord. It says, this voice came to him a second time. What God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. Right? And just to make sure that Peter's not confused or or thinking, you know, maybe he's just hungry and delirious, this thing happens three times. This drama unfolds before him three times um, to emphasize how important it is. Okay? So that brings us to verses 17 through 23. It's highly likely that Peter would have thought this vision was just about what foods he could eat, but God in his almighty sovereignty, he sets this thing up so that Peter understands quickly that it is about much more than that. The three guys that Cornelius sends to find Peter, they show up while Peter is still reflecting on the meaning of the vision. I mean, think about the timing of that, right? They were 30 miles away, traveling by foot, just so happens this vision comes at a time when it leaves Peter, he's, he's just thinking about what just happened, and then, boom, these guys show up, okay? In verse 23, it gives us a hint that he was at least beginning to understand the implications of, of what was going on, okay? Uh, verse 23 says, so he invited them in and gave them lodging. No devout Jew of the day would have let these guys, in, these Gentile men into their home because they would have believed that they would be defiled if they did. They may have directed them to an inn close by. They wouldn't have necessarily been mean to them, but they would not have brought them in as we see described here. 
Um, this shows us that Peter's eyes and heart were being opened to how big God's plan of salvation really was. And that he understood God wasn't just talking about dietary restrictions when he said, what God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. And so many people think that this whole chapter of Acts 10 is primarily about the conversion of Cornelius. And that is a big part of it. But really, a lot of what's going on here is the conversion of Peter. As he's being brought along to understand the depth and scope of God's plan of redemption. There's as much happening in Peter's heart as there is in those that he's going to bring the message to. That is certain. Verses 24 through 33, uh, you know, <clears throat> all of Peter's foot and mouth episodes recorded in the scriptures, they really should be a great encouragement to us, right? I mean, he's the only one that Jesus had to say, get thee behind me, Satan. Uh, there's lots of times where Peter just, you know, his mouth wrote checks that his butt couldn't cash, right? I mean, just over and over again. Um, but that really should be a great encouragement to us. It shows us that God is not looking for perfect people who have everything figured out or who think they do. He's looking for people willing to obey him even when what he's commanding seems illogical or nonsensical to us. I mean, think about Peter jumping out of the boat when Jesus was walking on the water. That does, I mean, for all the ways we could point and say, man, Peter, you are a fool sometimes. There was, there was 11 other disciples on the boat. Only one hopped out and started walking on the water. Yeah, he sunk, but he hopped out. There's something to be said for that. Amen. We also, I think, see a glimpse here of another reason that Peter may have been chosen by Jesus as the leader of the disciples. Cornelius, he's assuming that Peter must be some superman of God, right? Because of what he'd been told by the angel. And so when Peter walks in, Cornelius' response is he falls down and he begins to worship Peter. And instead of letting that go to his head, Peter tells him, stand up. I too am just a man. So Peter sees himself properly in this whole thing, right? I think sometimes, sometimes people don't. Sometimes preachers don't. Sometimes uh, people that have been given authority by God tend to end up abusing that or really liking the fact that people hold them up on a pedestal and they're not smart enough to say, no, stand up. I I'm, I'm but a man myself. And here's the truth. This tendency to prefer having a man between us and God, it hasn't gone away. Uh, there's actually a, stat a statue of Peter in St. Peter's Cathedral in Rome, and people to this day, they, they kneel down and they kiss the toe of this statue. Uh, and if you read this account in Acts 10, I think we can be pretty sure how Peter would respond to that kind of misguided and misplaced act of worship. I think Peter would say, stand up and quit kissing that toe. <laughs> Go use your mouth to tell somebody the gospel. Amen. Uh, verses 30 through 30, 32, they, they should help us, um, they should help us kind of put to bed this age-old accusation against God's mercy and his justice. It's just a couple of verses. Let me read those to you again. Cornelius said, Four days ago to the hour I was praying in my house during the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in shining garments. And he said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Therefore, send to Joppa and invite Simon, who's called Peter to come to you. He's staying at the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. Cornelius was a man seeking for God, and he was even obeying him in many ways. But here's the truth. He could never be saved by that seeking and that obeying. He needed to hear the good news of the gospel. 
He needed for Peter to come and to preach the good news about Jesus to him and his household. So here's the thing. Many people, so many people, have argued over what happens to folks that never hear the name of Jesus and whether or not it's fair what happens. And friends, what I want us to see here is kind of the fulfillment of what is a consistent message throughout the scriptures. You can go to Deuteronomy, Chronicles, you can go to Proverbs, you can go to Jeremiah. Jesus repeats this in Matthew 7. Those who truly seek God will find him. And we see that fulfilled here. Cornelius was seeking after God. He didn't have all the pieces to the puzzle, but the pieces he was missing, God made sure he got. By an angel on one side and a vision on the other, right? He brought them together so the gospel could be preached to this man that was seeking after God. And it's not always going to happen like it did for Cornelius, but God in his perfect sovereign love and mercy will reveal himself to all who truly seek him. And he's not going to force himself on those who don't. All of creation declares the existence of this wonderful and powerful God. And those who reach for him will not be ignored. Of this we can be sure. I can't tell you how many accounts are coming out of the Middle East now. In Middle Eastern culture, there's a high emphasis upon dreams. And they believe that uh, the supernatural communication happens through that. I'm hearing story after story after story from credible sources of how... Jesus is showing up to people in dreams and leading them to go find this person that can preach to them the gospel and a church that they can be a part of. Jesus will meet those that are seeking for him. He's merciful and he's kind and he's just. Amen. Uh, Verse 33. Let me read that to you again. It says, so I sent for you immediately and you've been kind enough to come. Now then, we are all here present before God to hear all that you've been commanded by the Lord. Interesting. This point doesn't apply directly to global missions, but verse 33, I think it has some helpful instruction for us. I think it's worth mentioning while we're here. I think it's going to be especially applicable today uh, just simply because it's roughly 80 degrees in here. Because right now, every one of you is tempted to be distracted by the heat. Every single one of you is tempted to be checked out by the fact that you're probably uncomfortable because of the temperature in the room. But let me think, let's think about this together. They said, now then we are all present here before God to hear all that you've been commanded by the Lord. Apparently these people who gathered here to hear Peter give this message were not there because there might be food after or because of tradition. That was not their motivation. They were here, they were there to hear a word from God. And the truth is there are many who come to gatherings like this where we worship God and his word is taught and they give little thought to the effect that their posture has on what they do or don't receive. These people were hungry and expectant to hear a word from God. That's what they were there for. And they did. Now, we need to say this. Of course, Peter had to be led by the Holy Spirit. He had to speak what it was God wanted him to. But the people also had to have the right heart posture and the frame of mind to receive it. And so what am I saying? Well, earlier I joked about a three-hour sermon, but the question is, why not? I mean, part of what messes me up is I've heard too many accounts of, of Chinese Christians traveling long distances to be huddled in a tiny room and sit on the floor so that they can hear somebody preach the word, and they'll sit there for eight to ten hours and be mad when he quits. I mean, that's not just one time I've heard that over and over and over again, okay? Um, 
it's, it's real hot in here today. We've got, we've got friends, people that we know uh, that today had worship service down in Mexico. And if, if we were to say to them, man, phew, service was a real struggle. The air conditioning really wasn't keeping up. They would laugh at us because you know what they don't have on their building at all? It's not even an option. Air conditioning, right? So they'd be like, <laughs> okay, I'm sorry to hear that. The AC didn't quite keep up. <laughs> That's a bummer, right? And here's the thing. Here's, some of you might be doing it. We can justify all day long. We can justify our disordered affections and appetites with excuses like, well, well that's a different culture. We, we can do that all we want. But I think if we get quiet with Jesus and ask him whether that kind of excited and attentive listening to God's word being preached is right or not, I think we'll know that we have reason to repent and reform the way we think about it. And many times the way we show up when God's people are gathered. Um, I really believe that for every follower of Jesus, there, there should be a tie. There should be a tie for our favorite thing to do. And the tie should be between hearing God's word preached and sharing God's word with others. And anything else that begins to even come close and encroach upon that um, should tell us something. Amen. Verses... 34 through 43. Here's what we're going to do with these. I'm, I've, I have very little to say about these because this is the Apostle Peter throwing down a Holy Ghost-inspired, straight-up gospel sermon. So I'm just going to, I'm going to read these to you again, 34 through 43, because uh, this is a straight slab of gospel truth on your plate. Okay, so get out your forks and knives, church. We're about to eat. Ready? Here we go. Opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. The word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is the Lord of all. You yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee, after the baptism which John proclaimed. You know of Jesus of Nazareth and how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. We are witnesses of all the things he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God. That is to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. He's making a real point here to make sure you know Jesus rose bodily from the grave, not just spiritually. That's why he's saying that. And he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Woo! Now that's a gospel sermon right there. We got the bad news about sin. We got the good news about Jesus all together just like it should be. And, and then what happened? Well, here's what happened. Verses 44 through 48. And these verses... If you let them, they can erase all your fears and anxieties about fulfilling your call to be a missionary, either here or in some far-off land. What happened? Let me read this. Verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on them. Hey, man, he hadn't even finished his sermon, guys. What does this tell us? This gives us the freedom to know our role and just open our mouths. Peter wasn't even done yet. He was still talking. 
And the Holy Ghost came and said, Woo, we're about to do this thing, didn't he? Peter had a bunch more points to make. I mean, that'd be great. Holy Ghost, if you want to do that today, right now, looking at these people's faces, that would be wonderful. I got more points to make, but it'd be great if he just came and messed you up real good right now, and I could sit down, and he can do that. Amen. Anytime the gospel is preached and someone responds in faith, it is because the Holy Spirit moves upon that person and opens their eyes to the truth and beauty of redemption by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's by the Holy Spirit's power that preaching ever has effect, that us doing whatever it is we're doing for the sake of the gospel has any effect. We don't have to live in fear that we can't tell people about Jesus because we might mess it up. The pressure's never been on us to save people. God is the one who saves. We see this clearly in Acts 10. What that means is we can joyously embrace the task of loving all people with the love of God and sharing with them both the truth of God. And we can, we can rest knowing that the end results are up to him. That takes an incredible amount of weight off of our shoulders. And I think so many times we end up staying out of the game altogether because we are so aware of our own inadequacies. Well, I'm, <laughs> I think Peter probably knew, right? <laughs> I think Peter was well aware that they could have probably picked someone more qualified for the job. And yet, here he was. Amen. I hope that helps you. That helps me. I'm vibrantly aware of all my inadequacies. Well, probably not. You probably see a few that I don't even see. You can come tell me afterwards. But this helps me. Salvation's up to the Holy Spirit, man. People being changed forever is up to the Holy Spirit. We see here in this instance, uh, in verse 45, it says, The Jews with Peter were amazed that they had received salvation in the gift of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because up until then, everybody thought these Gentiles, that they would have to convert to Judaism first then they could receive Christ. That's why they're amazed, because here God gives the same miraculous sign upon these Gentiles that happened in Acts 2 with the apostles. That's the whole point Peter's making. He's like, well, the Holy Spirit done the same thing with them he did with us. And they, they didn't go get circumcised first. They haven't been following anything to do with uh, Judeo law at all. And so this is the moment right here. These Gentiles, they're speaking in tongues, they're exalting God just like they did in Acts 2. They see the exact same thing happening. And so this moment right here is where Peter and the others, they begin to fully understand the good news of the gospel was not just for those who observed the traditions of Israel, but that Jesus could be preached to the whole world and that people from every tribe, nation, and tongue could be saved. Here we see in full, vibrant color, God's heart for global missions. And this should set our hearts aflame with passion for the lost in every country and on every continent throughout the world. And it's interesting that they're just now getting this because this is not a secret God kept from his people. Sometimes we are just slow to get it sometimes, right? Because all the way back in Genesis, if you remember, God told Abraham, I'm going to make a mighty nation out of you. And through this family that I'm raising up in you, all the families of the world are going to be blessed. Over and over and over again, God was saying, this is what I'm doing. 
Yes, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take Abraham's family and through Isaac and Jacob and through the 12 sons, out of that's going to come a Messiah. But this whole thing I'm doing is not just about them. It's to bring salvation and the light of hope and reconciliation to God to the entire world. All the families of the world are going to be blessed through what I'm doing with you, Abraham. Amen. It's been God's point all along. He didn't shift or pivot at any point. He was just working a plan. Hallelujah. I'm glad he can stick to what he starts. How about you? We cannot hear this and just be stirred with passion for God's mission. We must also be moved to obedience. There must be action, friends. Um, I think it's interesting to note that long before Peter left Joppa to preach the gospel to Cornelius and his household, there was another man that God gave a message, and he also left from Joppa. His name was Jonah. But instead of heading towards Nineveh to herald God's message of hope, he tried tried to sail anywhere else. And what he found out was that disregarding the precious privilege of participating in the mission of God only leads to pain and misery. Both men were called by God to do things that didn't make sense to them. Both were called to preach God's word at great risk to their comfort and as far as they knew even to their safety. But the difference is one man ran and one obeyed. And so I set this question before you today, church. Will you be a fool and run like Jonah, thinking that you can have joy outside of obedience to God? Or will you obey like Peter and experience the only real joy that can be grasped in this life? That joy is to fulfill the purpose which God made you for and saved you for. And many of you, are already experiencing the constant frustration of trying to do things your own way. And I hope today is the day you turn and embrace true freedom by surrendering yourself truly all the way to King Jesus. Now, some of you might be thinking, if God is so powerful and mighty, it doesn't matter what I do. He'll get the job done without me. But friends, don't you see? We talked last week about the fact that God has made us his ambassadors. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. And what does that mean? How does that play out? Well, it plays out very vibrantly here in Acts 10. Think about this. Guys, there was already an angel talking to Cornelius. Are you, are, are you understanding what I'm saying to you? An angel came from God and showed up to Cornelius, and what did he do? Could, if this was the way God wanted to do it, couldn't we have skipped the whole trip From Joppa to Caesarea? Couldn't we have skipped the two-day waiting period? Couldn't we have skipped all of the potential fumbling and bumbling of Peter? An angel could have just delivered the gospel to Cornelius and his people right then. But he didn't, did he? No. God has ordained that this gospel, this good news, that is to be transferred throughout the world, that this light is to be shown, this torch is to be handed off from person to person by his people. This is the way God wants it done. If, I mean, if I was God, I probably would have used the angels and not messed with us so much. But God's much smarter, far more glorious, and has a reason for everything he's done. The message, an angel, you just have to, you would think the sermon from an angel might have been, you know, a little better than Peter's, but apparently not. Because all the angel said was, hey, send for Peter. Peter's got a message from God for you. I think it says a lot. 
We already talked last week about how this plays out in the sense of, of local missions, so if, if you missed that, go back and, and check it out. But I want to give you four ways quickly that you can answer the call to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. Four ways. I promise they really are short. The first I'm going to give you is short-term missions, okay? There have been many who rightly point out that short-term mission trips done the wrong way and for the wrong reasons can do more harm than good. That is true. However, today we just read about a short-term mission that Peter went on, <laughs> and God used him mightily to bring the light of the gospel to many, okay? Uh, you heard earlier today about a trip opportunity we have coming up, okay? We're going to build facilities to help brothers and sisters in Mexico care for orphans and teach them about Jesus, okay? Here's the deal. If it, if it is the glorious wind of the gospel that fills our sail as we strike out on these type of endeavors, then they will be worthwhile. And personally, I think every single follower of Jesus should earnestly pray and ask God if he would like to send them to foreign soil to further his kingdom. I think you should at least ask him and not assume you know the answer. Amen? The second way is you can, you can give. Through giving, you can affect outside of our national borders and throughout the world uh, the furthering of the gospel. And here's what we need to say. There, there are some who may be incapable of travel or for some other reason they are unable to physically go to another country to share the gospel. For those folks, they should earnestly pray, telling God that they are willing to sacrifice financial resources to help send those who can go. Whether that be helping to finance projects and short-term trips or to help sustain those who God has sent out into the mission field for more long-term gospel ministry. Remember, in Acts 10 and throughout the scriptures, we see God's heart for the world. And this should stir our hearts to the degree that we cannot just stand on the sidelines. We shouldn't be able to. We shouldn't be able to read Acts 10 and walk out of here today not stirred about the gospel going to the nations. If you can, then you got to pray and ask God to blow upon the coals of your heart because something's wrong. That's what I'm saying to you. And so maybe that's part of what your response is today when we take communion. Maybe you are still sitting here just thinking, I wish he would shut up. It's so hot in here. And if that's, I get it, man, because it is. But if that's where you're at, dear friend, if you, can, if you can read today with me Acts 10 and you can see this picture of God's heart for the nations, and you're not stirred in your own heart to do something about the gospel going to the ends of the earth, then today, right now, you should beseech God in a serious way. You should cry out to him and ask him, Lord, wake me up, stir me, brush the dust off me, do whatever, break my heart again so that I can see this the way you see it. I want to care about what you care about. Maybe your heart is filled to overflowing with so many distractions and other things, you don't have room to care about what I'm saying today. That's got to change. It has to. We can't walk around like that. That's not what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Our heart should break for what breaks his. Our, our, we should be excited about what excites him. And the gospel going to the ends of the world, the world, all over the earth, that excites our master. And thus, we should be as well. So for some people, the way they can participate in the world getting to hear about Jesus is by giving generously to fund those who can go. That is going to be how some people are in it. That's how they're going to practically do something about the passion they have to see the gospel reach the ends of the earth. The third way I'm going to give you is long-term missions. 
Some of you in this room may be called to leave all that you find safe and comfortable and go live among a different people in a different place to share with them the truth that there is hope in Jesus. That could be you. And if your initial response to that is, God would never ask me to do that, it would be wise, honestly, to take some time to repent and reassess what it means that Jesus purchased you with his blood. Because he very well could ask you. And all the reasons you have why he wouldn't really don't mean a whole lot. Any of us who have tasted and seen the glorious goodness of God being set free from sin through faith in Jesus, any of us that have experienced that, we should respond like the prophet Isaiah when he beheld God's glory in the temple and his response was, here I am, send me. It's the only right response to how good and wonderful and beautiful Jesus is and how good he's been to us. The fourth way I'm going to give you is prayer. And I would say this is one that I think any of the other three you could do, prayer is one that all of us should do, but it should not be the only thing we do. You with me? I think one of the, one of the first three, you got to pick one of those, and we should all be praying. We should be praying for those that have obeyed the call to go live in foreign countries, to teach people uh, the truth about Jesus. We should be praying for any short-term mission trips that we know about. We know about this one coming up here in this church. Now let's start praying for that orphanage, their effect in their community, uh, the fundraising, all of it. We should be in prayer. We should care about, and our prayers should be marked by a care for the gospel going to the ends of the earth. That should come up as we're bringing our desires to God. Um, we all should be praying about these things. And so those are the four ways. I told you they, they, didn't, they didn't take as long as they could have, that's for sure. So we're wrapping it up. Friends, I'm asking you to hear me. Hear me in this. There is nothing in this world, nothing, that even comes close to the importance of God's mission. It is the one thing that truly matters. And all the rest of our lives should be viewed through the lens of participating in our glorious occupation as gospel missionaries. This means in our homes, with our families, in our neighborhoods, at work, and in all the earth. Praise God. My hope today is that we have been stirred. <laughs> we have been stirred by Acts 10, not, not just enough to maybe mutter an amen, not just enough to even be excited when we leave here, but that we've seen the heart of our Father for those that don't know him his desire for them to be reconciled to him through the good news about Jesus, and we will be stirred and moved to action. May we walk in faith-filled obedience to the call of God, even if we don't understand, instead of running away and experiencing the futility of our foolishness. And may the whole earth see the beauty of our gracious king because his people live as the light he's called us to be. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Thank you for Acts 10. Thank you, God, for the truth we see there. Thank you for revealing your heart, God, letting us see how it is you think about these things, how it is you see these things. God, oftentimes we are a fickle people. We admit that we are prone to have other appetites and affections, that the furthering of your gospel, seeing the good news of Jesus, the light of the world, reaching the ends of the earth. Many times, there's days that go by that we don't even think about it. And it should not be so. 
That should not be the case, not of your people. So, Lord, we ask that you would please help us. Please fill our minds and hearts with a passion and a care for those that have yet to have a chance to respond to the beautiful news that there is hope for every man and every woman in Christ. Thank you, Lord, that for whatever reason you have seen fit to include us in your redemptive plans. Thank you, Lord. You could have used the angels. You could have done anything. And yet you have invited us as your children to come alongside you and to be a part of what you're doing. God, I can't wait. I can't wait for the eternal celebration as, as we get to for all of time, celebrate your goodness and that by your power you made all of these things possible, but also <laughs> that you included us. Thank you for the stories that we'll tell. Thank you, Lord. You've been so good to us. You didn't have to do it this way, but you did. You're faithful and merciful. Thank you, God, that we don't have to be perfect. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to be theological juggernauts in order to participate in what you're doing. God, what you need from us is obedience, a willingness to do what you say, even if it doesn't make sense to us. Lord, help us to be like Peter in this respect. Lord, some of us have run like Jonah. Some of us have tried to do it our own way, and we have felt the pain that results. God, I ask that anybody within the sound of my voice that, that is in that state currently, Lord, that you would mercifully draw them to yourself, that they would yield themselves that they would stop that futile fight against you, and that they would join you in the beautiful purpose for which they were created. Thank you that you're long-suffering and patient. Thank you, God, that you don't give up on us. We love you and we worship you. We thank you. Thank you for the good news of the gospel. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.